You're listening to the Spandex Powerama podcast. Rampaging through Seoul since 2017. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Spandex Powerama podcast. I'm Rex and joining me is Carmen Ranger. How are you doing? Yeah. I mean, you know, 2021 is kicked off and is apparently more eventful than 2020, so, you know, I'm doing. I think this is the best we can really be at this point. We're just doing. I mean, we're not in the States, so... Yeah, um, though we are in the UK, so we're still kind of screwed. In today's episode, we will be discussing the 2017 film Colossal, which didn't necessarily do the best at the box office, but it found its way over to our podcast. didn't necessarily do the best? <laughs> That's an understatement. Are you, are you on, the, um, on the production committee for it and having to sell it to investors? Oh, yeah, we didn't do the best, but it was, uh, was it? the budget was $15 million and they made $4.5 million back. You know, that budget doesn't take into account marketing, right? Yeah, I'm wondering that how much was actually more... put into marketing. Well, marketing, by rule of thumb, is usually about half as much, if not as much as the budget, depending on how big the movie is. This is a smaller movie, so it probably wasn't as much as that, but even if we assume it was like a, a quarter of the budget, it's still a significant loss. Yikes. That's more than significant loss, even without taking into account marketing. Like that's, it's just a bizarre amount of money to lose on a movie that is actually fairly pretty damn good. Yeah, that's the kicker. This is a... Well, more than half-decent film. It's competent. And we're just going to say this right off the bat. Spoilers ahead. If you don't want to have the film spoiled for you, if you want to get your hour-and-a-half-long fix of Anne Hathaway, then go right ahead. Just watch the movie first, pause this podcast, and, yeah, just restart it when you're back. Yep, just pause it, go watch the movie, come back. That's a responsible use of your time. You know, an hour and a half of Anne Hathaway and then an hour and a half of two guys talking about Anne Hathaway. It's okay, we'll wait. Call this the the Anne Hathaway Power Hour. (laughs) Uh, We've got our own little shrine for her, next to my shrine of um, (laughs) Alexander Siddig. I've still got that signed photo, I need to make a shrine for it. I was about to say good, I was about to ask if you actually have it displayed. I need to at some point. Frankly, I'm a little upset that it's not um, signed with his full Sudanese name. But then, then, then again, yeah, that would take up the entire to picture underneath. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I need to get a, a Cole Meany one so we can just, you know, we can be matching. We can be best buddies. We could play with then. them like dolls, and we could like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> every now and then, we could make them kiss. <laughs> <laughs> Every DS9 oh, fan ships Julian, them anyway. I want to I I <laughs> spend time with my wife. You should ha- you should spend more time with me, Julian, rather than that Cardassian. Why have inches of Garrick when you can have Miles O'Brien? <laughs> oh, look, do you want to just give up on Colossal and have a whole episode on Deep Space Nine? <laughs> Screw it, this is a Deep Space Nine episode. Odo um, is good, Quark is good, the whole goddamn show is good. Watch, Watch Deep, Deep Space, Space Nine. Nine. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I apologise for my Irish accent. That was naff. Ah, uh, blimey. So yeah, back to Anne Hathaway. Um, so yeah, as we mentioned, Colossal. Um, it, as you can kind of assume from the kind of the numbers we were throwing around with how much it made back, 
it's not one that has a massive wide audience or anything like that but it's it should have one i you know in a few years you know give, give it give it time i think it'll develop its own little cult oh following. yeah it's got that dna so. it feels like a project that had a lot of passion and effort put into it hathaway herself fell in love with the idea she isn't in it just for the money she went out of her way to be involved in this this is probably why it was picked up to be a film in the first they place. I had any financial... Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I know that when they were pitching the film, they often used, is it Godzilla meets Lost in Translation? Toho eventually yes, got them got... in legal trouble. <laughs> I'm not sure why, though, because it wasn't like they were using pictures of Godzilla on promotional stuff. They were just like, oh, it's like Godzilla, but not. Yeah... Uh, you get, what are you going to? You might as well sue Nickelodeon for bloody Reptar. <sighs> well, the problem is, it's hard to communicate a lot of the stuff from kaiju films to a mainstream Western audience. Like, look at well, Godzilla twenty fourteen. Does that play out like anything from the Japanese releases? King of the Monsters is an exception because after twenty fourteen did okay, they were allowed a bit more creativity with the monsterverse. No, I I get where you're coming from. I just don't see why Toho felt the need to kind of, you know, get their lawyers involved. Yeah, it's not really it. Hang about a, a a brief shadow of a memory is surfacing. I think they might have actually used Godzilla on a poster. I think it was something distributed to. It may have been with regard to selling the concept two producers, that kind of thing. More of a proof of concept because obviously it was done on... Well, <clears throat> because obviously it took a while to get some financial backing and, yeah, I mean just how it is they used Godzilla as a model for it because that's how you communicate Big Monster de Destroying City. Meet Anne Hathaway? Page six of the script there will leave you is. surprised. Yes. Okay, cool. I finally found it. Yeah, so there's a, there was a poster, like a pre-production poster um, with Godzilla, like 2014 Godzilla, and bloody Mazinga Z... Wait, is that... No, I think that might be great Mazinga. The, the, the picture I'm looking at is pretty low, um, low quality, but it's Mazinga versus Godzilla. So that's... I can see why they might be a little bit worried about that, but even so, that's clearly not something they're going to be using you know, on actual movie posters. Yeah. Uh, still, you know, I'm not a massive corporation, so what do I know? Clearly not much. As we mentioned, the uh, the movie is really, really good and it could be a cult classic. Um, so just to kind of illustrate what we mean, um, I'll just give you a quick rundown of the plot. It's... I mean, how else can we describe it? But oh, I've had a weirdly, problem with this weirdly dark, weirdly dark Hallmark movie. Yes, at times it's a Hallmark movie on meth. I tried to explain the premise to my mother, and she was like, it "Doesn't sound too great." Because what would you do? In, so elevator pitch: woman putting life back together moves back home and finds that her actions are somehow involved with a monster rampaging through a city. It isn't really something that you can sell someone, because this thing has 
a lot of elements from kaiju films. It lampshades a lot of those. It lampshades a lot of stuff from romantic comedies. It's its own thing, but it's a mix of so many concepts that you can't sell it in a few words. Yeah, I can see why it kind of struggled to get footing initially. Because, yeah, from that uh, elevator pitch, that does sound a bit weird. But then when you view the whole thing as a whole after it's been made, yeah, it, it's good. You can see where they're coming from. Like, like as, as we said, it's like a Hallmark movie. Um, Anne Hathaway's character, yeah, it does the whole, oh, um, high-powered, high, um, high yuppie, um, urbanite, uh, for some contrived reason, has to move back to a small-town home uh, and kind of piece her life back together or, you know, learn to appreciate life in the slow lane, blah, 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 meets, um, you know, a uh, childhood friend that she thought about, yeah, that she left behind. And you, know, you got that set up, but it, that's where the similarities, <laughs> that's where the similarities end. Oh, yeah. So, um, so Anne Hathaway's is hard-going party girl in New York who is currently unemployed but used to write for an online magazine. Um, her boyfriend, I think his name is Tim. I have a real hard time remembering these characters' names because they're just so normal. Like, no one looks like a movie star in this. They just look like normal people and they have normal names. So Tim, the British guy, um, kicks her out, basically, because she's been partying too much and is too much of a, a wayward uh, mm. spirit. He's not necessarily a dick at this point in the film, but because he has his reasons to kick like her that. out. Absolutely, I, I to begin with, he's fairly reasonable. Like he's not being petty or mean about it. He's just like you know, get out. This is too much. I can't. You know, this isn't clearly working. Please remove yourself from my home by the time you I get back from work. And you can't blame him, because as soon as he leaves, a bunch of her friends pile in and start, you know, drinking his booze and sucking up his electricity and junk like that. Like, you know, I can't necessarily blame him if that's what he's dealing with. Yeah, she's the kind of person who needs to get her life together, and he is tired of her not changing despite making the same mistake over and over again. So she um, ends up going back to her, um, her family's home in this small teeny tiny town and you know she's li living in a an empty house because her parents have moved out I'd, i think they were renting it out but there's no um nobody there no tenants that's what i was looking for so she's there no furniture or anything like that she got like a she got a macbook and that's about it um then she's walking into town and she meets up with you know her childhood friend who's going to show her life in the slow lane and the true meaning of Christmas. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what uh, impression Oscar gave me. Um, you know, especially the many times when he drove drunk, uh, caused civilian casualties, and set off a giant firework in the middle of a bar. But we'll get to that later. Yeah, Oscar is um, he, he's an interesting, he's an interesting man. A re real wholesome salt-of-the-earth kind of guy. Yeah, you want to leave your big city life and what? run his dismal just crap house bar. Wrapped up in, in his studly arms. <laughs> uh, they pull that. No, they pull that gag uh, twice with two characters. Yes, yes. You don't just get Oscar. You and get his time, friend. <laughs> neither of the neither times is it particularly funny. Not that's not in a bad way either. Uh, so 
so he pulls up as as she's walking down the road and recognizes her and they have this whole kind of oh wow it's been ages oh you went to the big city oh i guess life must be pretty exciting and great for you right now blah 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 blah. and they have that whole thing and then he um yeah just kind of works the situation into having her come along with him to the bar and it's Oscar, we'll get more into his character when we get to the character discussion, but he kind of drives a lot of the plot, so it's kind of hard not to talk about him. Um, like he, When I first watched this, before I knew what the twist was, and we'll get to the twist later, I didn't think anything was up until I got to the twist, but watching it back again, I can see how different... I can see things a bit differently with how Oscar interacts with people and how he talks to Anne Hathaway's character. I can and see I'm the twist coming. Just going to call her Anne. Oh come! On. Oh look at me! Ooh, I'm, I'm Rex. I'm a big brain boy. I can see plot points coming. Show <laughs> off! Just because you, f- just because you finished well, university. Come on, man. No, he's got that sort of um, character aspect where no, you can no tell to... that he never got to don't... bloom right from the beginning. Don't even you though there's a facade. To me. <laughs> Look at, in... look at, look at King Rex, king, king of the big brain boys, descending from his ivory throne to to be on my level, <clears throat> one of the little people. No, but he's got some relatable qualities, though they're just ramped up to 11 for the sake of the film. Like, of course, he comes across as friendly at first and supportive, but then you see his jealous side, then you see his inadequacies, and just his... What's the best way to put it? His way of trying to cope with never having done anything significant, never never having moved out, running his dad's old bar, and the one time when he finally gets some power, some significance in the world, he just becomes completely unhinged. And you can see why he would do it, though it's not the most realistic representation. It's still one of those characters where you're like, yeah... That's, I mean, that can kind of break a guy. You're just jealous because I got to enjoy the movie completely unsullied. Yes, I was distracted by my giant pulsating cranium, which allowed me to predict plot points 30 minutes in advance. Sickening. That's why M. Night Shyamalan films aren't my thing. I was like five minutes into the sixth sense, and I was like, "Oh, he's going to be the dead gun." <laughs> Wait, have you seen Have you seen Lady in the Water? I have not seen Lady in the char- Water. There is literally a character in that movie whose whole shtick is this. He's a film critic, and M Knight is using him as a punching bag in the movie because he doesn't like film critics because they pulled his later films apart. <laughs> and his whole thing is that he can't enjoy films anymore because he's seen so many and critiqued so many that he can predict the entire plot and then he applies it to real life like there's this grass wolf thing that's tracing him down in a corridor he's like this is the point where I turn and flee in fright I will just barely escape through the door with you crashing on the back in the other side of it with me safely locked behind it and then he yeah, I'm going to turn and run now. And then he turns and runs, and then he's mauled to death by a grass wolf. <laughs> well, it uh, makes a little bit more sense than the buttered toast test in Devil. <laughs> when butter li- sand- side lands down, Diablo is always around. Oh, I'd love 
Oh, God, M-, M. Night, you crazy bastard. You... Oh, your movies are so bad. Anyway, back back to my original point before this massive tangent. Um, watching it back a second time, you can see a lot more of the red flags. Like, he, he demands to know what um, Anne Hathaway has been doing all these years. Like, yeah, what are you uh-huh. doing? He's, he's weirdly for- forceful about it. I can see what you mean. Like, that's not a... Like, there's a lot of small things early on that individually they're totally cool Mm. totally fine totally normal but when you view it with you know hindsight and retrospect it all paints a bigger picture of a weird sad little man who has to control and dominate everything within his sphere of influence oh yes definitely it painted a very good picture of a damaged man it took the course of the film to do it but he ultimately came across as a character that is in some ways relatable, but of course because they add this aspect of him having well, let's just say sort of, I will say it now he is the giant robot attacking soul. He finally has some power and he uses that to control Gloria. It's it's a weird setup for a movie. And again, like I said, it's it's weird when you hear it on paper, when you watch it as a whole, it really comes together quite nicely. And it's got a really nice build-up to it as well. Like it's, We get one shot of the monster at the beginning, and then it kind of goes ages without it. You know, they um, because to control the monster, Anne Hathaway has to be specifically in this little park in her small town home. And so the monster hasn't been around for 25 years since his first appearance because she hasn't been there in, in years. Oh yeah, and they, she only figures it out because um, she stays at the bar late, um, yeah, drinking with Oscar and his friends, um, and then goes home really early uh, because she's been drinking all night at like eight in the morning, and then stumbles through the park, and then the monster reappears, and that, that's when it really starts happening because she stumbles through the park, um, drunk or well, at least hungover. And the next morning, well, not next morning, what is it? Like, next afternoon, she wakes up, sees the news that a monster has been stumbling through Seoul. Hmm. The way that she investigates it as well is pretty organic. Yes. It takes, what, Mm. two nights for her to sort of then notice, hang on, it looks like it's using a phone. I was using my phone at that time in the morning. Yes, she is weirdly quick on the uptake, like, in a realistic way, you know, it's weird because in a movie, this kind of thing would be dragged out a lot more and there'd be a lot more people involved in working out the mystery. It would need to be but dragged out, but I don't think they had the uh, money to make something that long <laughs> and with that many action sequences in it. But no, it's, I, I like how she went about uh, experimenting with it as well. Like She, oh, she yeah. maps out that area of Seoul she, so she can work out where is safe for her to stand. And so she does that. She stands there at that time, sticks out her arms and then leaves and then goes back to watch um, the news coverage and it does the exact same thing and she confirms it for herself. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a really good moment for her character as well because it shows that while she's irresponsible in her life or at least has been up until then, she she's not, you know, what's the best way of putting it? Um, she's irresponsible in her own life but not with the lives of other people, you know? But she's also inquisitive and intelligent enough to investigate this thing, but cautious enough to do it without hurting people. Until it's, she it's gets a really drunk. a good moment for a character. 
until she gets drunk, which leads us to the, the true monster of this movie. Alcoholism. No, for once it isn't man. I mean, it kind of is man, but alcoholism it plays a bigger part. Well, I think that's more along the lines of it being a symptom of feeling like you're not in control of your life. That's why both Gloria and Oscar are alcoholics, or at least when Gloria's trying to um, get some more control, she refuses to drink. I mean, you're sure, but yeah, that's not as snappy as alcoholism. <laughs> we got to get those headlines. we got to say that booze is killing all these people. But um, So th while the, these kind of monster shenanigans have been going on, um, Oscar has been giving Anne Hathaway more and more things. Like he gives her a, uh, a TV and stuff like that. Um, mm. And he always has the same excuses. Like, oh, we talked about this last night while you were blackout drunk. And we never see them talk about it or we never see them not talk about it. So we're not sure if they actually did or not. But it's very ah, interesting true. because it creates... It creates this sense in Anne Hathaway that she kind of is obligated towards him now. She she owes him something. It's uh, what is it? Yeah. Reciproc recip they did a similar thing when he mentioned that um, she agreed to work at his bar. Yep, yep. That was my next point. Like he said, oh yeah, no, we talked about it last night. You, you know, you wanted to come to the bar. Oh no, I shouldn't have. Oh, I shouldn't have asked you while you were drunk. Oh, that was super douchey of me. Mm. Oh, woe is me. And then obviously she's like, oh no, 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 no. Thank you. Thank you. The, the guy's a sleazy piece of shit. So manipulative. Yeah, fantastically manipulative because it's so realistic and, you know, possible. There's no... He's not some anime character who orchestrates massive mind games, mm. you know, and everything goes according to Keikaku. He's a weasley little man who wants to control, you know, three other people. Yeah, Jason Sudeikis did a wonderful job at this character to the extent that it feels like all of mm. his skills at manipulation came over time. Just him trying to survive in his little world, which was fantastic. As, as things progress, um, yeah, they, they get drunk again and Anne Hathaway is all like, oh, hey, you want to see something funny, guys? Uh, she starts off being a bit more... She tries to tell them, and she's tr she starts off being a bit more normal and kind of subdued about it, and kind of. But then, when the booze gets a hold of her more, uh, she gets a bit more rowdy, uh, not rowdy. Um, what's it? Clumsy. I don't know a bit more boisterous. Boisterous, boisterous yeah, is good. Yeah, another one. Uh, so she starts dancing in Seoul and accidentally, you know, swats a, a helicopter out of the sky, um, which is a bit, bit of a. I think this is when a character kind of hits rock bottom a bit because she swats out out of the sky and then falls over, probably on a bunch of people. Yeah. So that yeah, it's a really, you know, good way of having her character hit rock bottom because it's not fun to watch someone realistically hit rock bottom in that kind of situation. Like I don't want to see Anne Hathaway. I mean, I already saw Anne Hathaway hit rock bottom in Les Mis. I don't want to see it again. That was not a fun sequence to watch. Also, you know. It's not a musical, so we can't do it precisely that way. Well, you know what? It actually would have gotten a good rap if it were a musical. To, damn it. I I was going to joke and say, oh, you're going to say Glossal should have been a musical. Yeah. No, seriously. You get Hugh Jackman funny. in. Have him sing. All the middle-aged no. ladies will watch Colossal. 
I was working at the cinema when Greatest Showman came out. I do not want to go through that again. We, d- I don't want to put anyone through that again. We're not doing that. There should be no more, <laughs> uh, no more Hugh Jackman musicals. Okay, poor rushes at theaters can't handle it. I couldn't. Good God, man! Without musicals, what's he going to do? Be Wolverine? Well, not anymore. Stop denying him his income. <laughs> he needs more tight pants. Look, I'm, I'm not. It's not my fault. He's just too studly for this world. <laughs> He's too much of a dilf. He can't be contained. We need to pull a gamma and just jettison him into the into space to, so he can find a planet where he can be such a studly dilf without harming anyone else. I was not expecting this from a Hugh Jackman tangent. <laughs> uh, once uh, she kind of passes out because she is blackout drunk and falls over and hits her head on the floor after killing all these people. And when she wakes up, she kind of remembers and realizes what she's done. Um, yeah, Like I said, she's hit rock bottom at this point because she's killed at least hundreds of people. Probably they they never give a solid uh, body count for her, um, but we also learn that there was a giant robot that's Oscar, because um, you know he comes to help her out and pick her up and stuff like that, and we see you know pictures of the robot being with uh, Anne Hathaway as well, well Anne Hathaway's monster. So that puts a different spin on things because now there are two kind of factors to take into account here. It's not just Anne Hathaway, it's Oscar. And that doesn't seem so bad initially. Oh, yeah. But once Oscar starts getting a bit more unhinged, then it becomes rather bad. And watch his, yeah, again, this, this, this part of the movie kind of shows more of Oscar being a bit weird because he takes her keys and buys her food, which, again, on its own, yeah, that's a pretty stand-up thing to do, bro. Yeah, good for you. But when you take into account everything else, it's just another thing that he's done to make her indebted to him and, you know, he took her keys. Like I said, on its own, not so bad. With the whole picture, yeah, a little bad. Yeah. You can tell he's trying to control her. And it becomes more and more invasive and insidious the further the film goes on. There's this bit where they're in a, they're in a diner and they're talking about, you know, what it means now that they're a giant robot and a giant monster who can appear in soul at eight in the morning if they stand in a specific spot and oscar is being a bit loud about it and hathaway is naturally uh you know feeling horribly guilty that she has a body count now and doesn't want anyone to hear because you know she pieced it together she figures hey i guess other people could as well Uh, and oscar shows absolutely no regard for her feelings and yeah outright says oh i'm the robot she's the monster and stuff like that and he only backs down on this when she starts to leave hmm this is a consistent thing that he does throughout the movie. He will concede a little ground to re, you know, to regain or maintain overall control over the situation of the people involved. He's a really decent character study in, you know, a manipulative douche. It does get to a part in the film where Gloria then decides, after realizing the severity of her actions, Oscar manages to. Um, get some text translated into a Korean font that reads, I'm sorry, this was an accident, this will never happen again. And so she has the monster write that on the ground. Then that only causes further speculation. Yes, and we also get introduced to the best character in the movie. That random bard guy who says, I knew it, I knew that monster was a good one. <laughs> best character in the movie, 
Yeah, he he wants his kaiju movie, bless him. <laughs> he probably saw King Kong versus Godzilla in his childhood, and he was like, you know what? We need a good monster in this world. Yeah, there's, there's another interesting moment with uh, Oscar being a weirdo, because when she goes to write it, um, Oscar insists, uh, Oscar says that um, she was the one who asked him to go with her, but she corrects him and says that he offered to come. Mm. And that's, it, it's, it's Anne Hathaway's character kind of noticing subconsciously what he's done, but not noticing consciously what it means. Oh, yes, he's using he, very manipulative and language. Yes, and he backs down immediately and becomes a lot more um, subdued and unengaged with the situation once Anne Hathaway is... She's now in control oh, yes. of the situation. She establishes, like, you know, he offered to come to her. Yeah, this is a thing that she is doing. And so as soon as she you know, says, no, you offered to come, he goes and sits down on a bench and just is barely helpful from that Oh, yeah, doesn't even check his phone when she's getting ready for everything. Until he just prompted. suddenly realises, oh, crap. Yeah. yeah, just to make sure that there are no uh, people around when she starts writing. Yeah. It, again, it's it's just a really good character study on this kind of person. It's Why did this movie not do better? Yeah. Then we get, um, like I said, we get to that bit with the, uh, the, yeah, the cool bar guy who just wants a good monster, um, and uh, Anne goes back with, yeah, there, there are there are two other characters that we've not talked about yet because they don't really contribute to the plot. They're two of Oscar's friends. Um, there's the guy who's from Holes, I think, and Chad, and she goes back and spends the night with Chad. Um, oh wait, no, the other guy's called Garth. I don't know who the who Chad's actual name is. I'm just calling him Chad because he's the the buffest and you know studliest of the cast. I think it was um, Joel. That sounds about right. I'm still going to call him Chad though because that's what he's down as, as in my notes. <laughs> Only because he was sure muscular, handsome, bit of a himbo, very passive, which actually was. Um... A yes. good sign of the dynamic with the Oscar's friends. Oscar was obviously yes. the one in control. Yes. He would not include Joel in any activity. He would just tell him what to do. Joel would be the one to give the furniture to Gloria. He would be the pawn. Yes. He would have no he would have no agency of his own. Yes, and it's partway through the movie, he just never talks again. Yeah. He's in, we'll get we'll get more into his passivity later on, but that's that's something you should take notice of when it happens, when you when you guys watch the film. Or if you've you already watched the film, watch the film, why didn't you way? notice it before? How dare you? Yeah, come I'm on. I'm taking ten what points you, from Gryffindor. Like so yeah, Anne goes back with Joel, and uh, they spend the night together, and obviously you know, do the old no-pants-dance thing together. Um, but then they uh, Anne, Anne realises, yeah, she checks uh, the news and sees that the robot is doing stuff in Seoul. And so she gets Joel out of bed. Um, they drive on down to the park to see what the, what the haps is. And Oscar and Garth are just kind of arsing around in the park, you know, because they're both drunk still. I don't understand how these people can maintain this level of inebriation for so long. Yeah, I've tried it. I, it's insane. Like, you start to fade away at around seven in the morning. I'm not sure how the hell you can yeah, drive it, in that state and maintain the coordination the to avoid crushing buildings in Seoul. 
These people are insane. Like This is always sunny in Philadelphia levels of alcohol tolerance. Well, yeah, considering the time, they're what, in their... Supposed to be in their mid to early 30s in this... Uh, so yeah, it would have been a good decade or so of uh, hard drinking in a small American town. They've probably got one hell of a tolerance for it. It's, it's insane. Um, but yeah, um, they kind of they have a confrontation because Anne is now intensely aware of exactly what the stakes are regarding you know their monster forms. You know, you could say that with great power also comes great responsibility. Hmm. <laughs> Um, Oscar twigs um, that they must have spent the night because they turn up in the same van together at the same time and so he gets a bit colder after that for the for the rest of this scene because again yeah that's not something he's approved of that's not something he's kind of controlled or put into motion which sure on its own like oh hey maybe Oscar likes Anne Hathaway and oh ooh, is this a love triangle forming but it, you know viewed as a whole thing uh, that's creepy, my man. It's weird. Yeah, this is where the Hallmark film parts of it start to fall apart because it does have elements of rom-com. It's first thinking, oh, will she get with Oscar? And then it's Joel because she meets him in the bar as part of Oscar's friend group. And they, yeah, they just sort of hit it off a tiny bit. And Joel pr- just goes in for a kiss way too prematurely at the bar. And it's like, ah, you thought you were watching a rom-com. And it happens again a second but it was time. it me as... crippling alcoholism in character studies. <laughs> yeah, and that happens a second time. Um, and Gloria's just like, nah, it's all right, I was kidding. Then they sleep together. And it's not really romanticized in any way. It's more just like, yeah. Oh, no, she was just horny. Yeah, you, you get drunk and horny. It's just, yeah, they're fulfilling a need. And... And Hathaway just wanted some of that Chad Thundercock. <laughs> oh, lovely. <laughs> I've completely lost uh, the point I was going to make now. Um, oh, yeah, that kind of just comes into the fact that it likes to do fake-outs with genres. It did a lot of rom-com fake-outs. And in this scene, where they're in it together, there is a kaiju movie fake-out where Gloria slaps Oscar. And I was thinking... Oh, this yes. could turn into a full-on fight scene. And you are hearing cheering from people around. They're obviously yes. watching this on TV and on live streams. They're cheering this on because obviously they've been seeing this giant robot actively antagonizing the city. Whereas previously the monster was just mindlessly walking through. But now they're seeing something like an actual Again. fight. Yes. Uh, and once she slaps him, he backs down immediately to maintain mm. control overall. Like I said before, like this is a recurring thing. Like he knows that there is no way for him to maintain any kind of good face by doing anything other than backing down for a bit. Mm. But to compensate, you know, to kind of um, make up for his bruised ego, he also makes it go into work early to uh, fix up the cowboy part of the bar. Oh yeah, this this comes to the part where he starts actively threatening her that he will. Yes, he's, he's attack. a lot more. He's a lot more overt with his uh, manipulations now. You know, it was more subtextual before, but now it's just textual. And he he starts to come around a bit more afterwards because he kind of feels a bit of clout from being a YouTube star. And this is one of the only movies that has had a an internet meme featured in it in a way that it would probably actually be done. Oh, yeah. Because like, they have a, a Thug Life gif. And like, yeah, they that would probably be made 
I mean, it would be a bit out of date in 2017. I mean, but it would still be made. It was being made in late 2015, so it would have been a little bit more relevant. Uh, true, true, true. Uh, but yeah, like it's it's just weird to see a meme done decently. Oh yes, it was a very passive thing. It wasn't made as a highlight. It's like, yeah, okay, this is the kind of thing that the internet would put up. And so he starts getting a bit, you know, a bit more on board with it, you know, because he feels special and big because now everyone in the world is appreciating something that he has been involved in. Even though they don't know it's him directly, they're still, oh, yeah, there's loads of internet stuff about, you know, there's loads of new stuff about the giant robot and the giant monster, and he's like, oh yeah, I feel like a big man now. Hey, this character's getting even more personally relatable, because I did a similar thing. Oh, you also became a giant robot and tore up a, an East Asian country, yeah. No, but you know, like, that. You, know a, you know that YouTube fads you. where people sort of, um, uh, they vocode audio, but to Finn MK's piano dub? Like, they do it with Simpsons scenes and stuff? Yes. I started that. I started that on some uh, Simpsons meme groups on Facebook. I was straight up asked. Ah. I got a message from Finn after a few videos like, hey, how'd you make that? And I told him, he was like, yeah, that's pretty good. Then other people started doing it. And yeah, I'm the granddaddy of that. Rex's claim to fame. <laughs> that and yeah, I was an internet cat guy for a while. But I don't know, it hasn't caused me a, to descend into um, an antagonistic meltdown just yet. No, but yeah. Just keep away from those parks, all right? We don't know what weird country that'll turn a, turn a monster up in. <laughs> Actually, yeah, what's on the opposite side of the Earth to us? Is it Australia? Oh, crikey! I don't think Australia needs any more bad stuff happening to them. They're already plenty locked down. <laughs> New Zealand, on the other hand, those smarmy bastards need a good monster invasion. How dare they have fewer COVID... They have none, don't they? I couldn't tell you. I've stopped paying attention. They're incredibly jammy. So I'm just, I'm just thinking about a giant monster attacking um, Australia. Crikey! Nine hundred dollar dues of property damage. See, I'm expecting heavier use of the c word there. We're thinking different well, stereotypes. True. You call that a kaiju? This is a kaiju. <laughs> it, it's, it, it's just making Simpsons references now. Well, no, that was some crocodiles yes, and sea, you uneducated slut. Yes, I'm aware of that, but. In this situation, obviously, the person will produce something smaller than a kaiju or something that isn't a kaiju, hence the Simpsons joke. Well, that's why I deliberately didn't you do that. You call that a knife? This is a knife. I, I it's a spoon. A I'd already done a Simpsons... Yeah, I know. I see you've played Knife is Spoonie before. That's why I specifically didn't do that, because I'd already made a Simpsons reference. The $900 so Therefore, I was reduce. making a Crocodile Dundee reference. Yeah, exactly. You know what? I think we've just lost Australian listeners. Tobias! <laughs> this is all I know about Australia. That Simpsons episode in Crocodile Dundee. That's all you need I to know about Australia. <laughs> I don't even remember where we are in the plot. Ha okay. Um, um, Australia. Oh, um, Oscar was um, sort of riding a bit of a high, though he was having a bit of a manic bit yes. after seeing the meme. Yes, yes, he was. Um, and he he just gets... It just goes downhill. There's, there's no redeeming him. Like, that's not the best word, but there is no... He, he doesn't come back from this point onwards. He just kind of goes down. Yeah. He becomes aware of the kind of power he has. Yes. He's, he starts putting everyone in the bar down because Anne Hathaway starts, yeah, she's all like, hey, you want to give it a rest? You've, you've been watching that movie, that, that meme, that Thug Life clip for you know, the whole evening. And then he starts just really dragging everyone else down. Like he's having a real go. Like he, um, 
He hasn't got a guff for being a cokehead. And we don't even know if he still is or not. Again, a lot of this stuff isn't confirmed. Like, he does make an excuse about having um, digestive issues. So that might be the case, because he keeps going to the bathroom and they keep... Well, you know, it's the fact that well, up. Garth is really the low-hanging fruit because obviously Oscar had been saving yeah. that secret until he needed to use it. It's when Garth started speaking up because he Oscar was getting Gloria to drink. He wanted her to get drunk yes. to manipulate her. And when Garth started to speak up, that's when Oscar deployed the um, the cocaine bomb. Coke yeah, bomb. Yeah, the coke bomb. And cocaine even bomb. like whenever Garth tried to get a word in, he was just like, I thought you're supposed to be leaving right now. Just get out. Didn't even yeah. allow him to speak. He just maintained mm. that level of control. Even if it meant ousting one of his older friends, no, he needed to have Gloria. I don't even think they're his friends. They're just his... I don't know what else... To, what are the words? I don't think he can say Yeah, I mean, friends. you're stuck in a small Truly. town for the rest of your life. You haven't achieved anything. And there are fellow people that haven't achieved anything either. You just exist together. Bit depressing. Yeah. yeah this, this whole movie is quite depressing. Um, so we never see Garth again after this point. Garth and Anne Hathaway are the only two people who ever kind of talk back to him at all. And, you know, they suffer the most for it. Garth gets belittled and harangued into leaving the bar and, by extension, the movie. Mm. And Anne Hathaway gets browbeaten into submission because Oscar now has this trump card that he can deploy. Yeah, where if she doesn't step into line, he will step career into a line. That Compare that to really Joel, away from really. Because he's obviously very, very quiet and submissive. He knows not to do anything. Like, he's whipped. Yeah. Oh, he's he's very, very meek from this point on. He's in that He's got very, very submissive body language, like, throughout the rest of the movie. Yeah. And it kind of makes you wonder... Why? I was like, half what? expecting him to do something during the film to fight back. Just but no, yeah, never does. It's not his story. It's glorious. Well, more, more to the point though, it makes me wonder what has happened between him and Oscar in the past to make him know not to. Hmm. Like he seems, he seems too clean cut to have a, a problem like Garth did. Like I'm pretty sure Oscar has beaten them up in the past. Like I'm. Uh, that's probably the kind of thing that, that I don't know. That's the only thing I can think of. Again, nothing's confirmed in the movie, uh, but he he definitely acts like he's is or has been abused by him, or maybe it's just years and years and years of emotional and verbal abuse. Either way, it's not a great way to treat your friends. No, but it's a good way to keep people under control. I know um, women who have had abusive partners from the controlling side of things. And that's the exact kind of thing that they would do. Mm. They Anything that they can't control, they try to threaten and isolate so that they don't affect the situation. What a horrible way to live your life. From any point of view. Mm. I just don't get it. I don't see why anyone would be like that. We, we find out um, as things go on then, as things kind of spiral out of control, um... At least what Anne thinks uh, Oscar's whole deal is. You know, she, he, he tells her, you know, drink the beer or I'm going to go and stomp soul. And so she picks the beer bottle up and just tips it out. And I don't know if I would have drank it or not. I don't, I, don't, I don't think I would have had the balls to not drink it, you know? 
I think she has bigger balls than any of us. Well, I mean, she acted in a film at a $15 million budget with a monster in it. So, yeah, that's pretty big balls. I mean, usually those kind of movies have bigger budgets. I'm glad that she was able to actually do things that she enjoyed and not pulling a Jennifer Aniston and being trapped in a constant cycle of uh, identical rom-coms. She, she gives him this kind of little monologue about how she's kind of realized how he's insecure and you know, he, he hates himself and the life that he has there where he's it's just a tiny little town and it, I, I think she's right in in one regard but i think there's a bit more to it than just that like a person who lives in a, a crappy little town with not much to him sure would have a few issues but wouldn't be such a, a manipulative asshole well it's the flashback scene which um helps cement it also with the fact that he's mentioned that he's been checking her on social media for the last few years yes so obviously oh, yeah. he knows of her and you can tell at this point that there is a resentment for her and can yes. we talk about the flashback? Oh, uh, yeah, I just want to add some context yeah, to what you were saying go ahead. for a moment. Uh, so not only... So for, for, for full context about the um, checkup on Facebook, like she hasn't lived in that town for at least a decade, probably more. I don't remember most of my Let's you see. Know, um, school friends' say, yeah, names. About 25, 24 years. Yeah. It's... So, like I, a lot of people I went to school with at that age, I don't remember their names, and boy, do I not remember their faces. He's been checking up on her on social media for years and keeping up with her. Like this wasn't relevant to the plot, so we didn't bring it up yet. But like she, he, he knows things about her, uh, like like how she got fired from a job and stuff like that. It, it's just weird, as as you said with the uh, the flashback we see. And also that that bit where he mentions the uh, the story competitions they had at school, where you can tell he's a little oh, bit like, oh yes, he's like, oh, oh you I always never, had better I, ones. I never won those. You won better than me. Yep. And exactly. this is perfectly encapsulated in the flashback. Now, until this point, Gloria had only had just little flashes of things, like just um, them walking to school in the morning, just flashes of a path and the area that was before the park became a playground. It was just a little fenced off wooded area. In this flashback, she is walking beside Oscar, the kids, and they both have dioramas. She has this really pretty detailed diorama of Sol, and he is next to her with just some crap that's just assembled out of paper. There's a cow on it. It looks like ass. Uh, there's a strong wind, and it blows her diorama into the area. Now, Oscar immediately uh, tries to help, seemingly, by climbing over the fence and trying to get it for her. And she follows a few moments later. And what she sees when she climbs the fence, goes into the wooded bit, she sees him pick up the diorama when it was blown away, pop it down again, and then stomp on it. Just out of jealousy. What a great kid. And this was a great way of showing it. This is just displaying hmm. all of his inadequacies, his resentment that he just projects onto her, because even in childhood, she wrote the better stories, she had the better diorama, and later on, she got out into the city. No matter how her life was going in reality, he sort of 
only saw yeah. the glitz and glamour of it, the outside stuff. Now, to be fair, to be fair, she did move to New York, so she wasn't doing that good. <laughs> he put her on this pedestal, and this scene perfectly encapsulates it, while also trying to mm. explain why the monster's appearing. But that's the silly part of it. It doesn't really matter. Lightning strikes oh, yeah. her, and, you know, it causes a little wound on her head, which then she then realises was the reason behind her um, nervous tick of scratching that part of her head the yeah. whole time. And, yeah, then... Like, it, it doesn't make any sense, yeah. but that's not the point. Does it strike him as well? monsters... Yeah, and they both fall yeah, on the floor, both of them, and, and then... dolls fall on the floor, and the monsters are based on those. That's not what's important. Yeah. No, what's important is this character study. It doesn't matter how the monsters happen, they just had to be there. A lightning strike is probably the best way to do it, because, ooh, lightning, mysterious, maybe it's an alien rays or whatever, who cares? It, Worked for short it circuit. It happened and we got monsters now. Oh, I forgot about that movie. That was the second one, you know? Was there? Oh, yeah, there were, there were two short circuit movies. I'm surprised there hasn't been a direct-to-DVD third one. I'm surprised there hasn't been a weird animated version of it. Yeah, there probably is, and we just haven't heard of it. My God. It was a weird time for TV adaptations. At this point, Chad hasn't really spoken since the bar argument, or bargument, if you will. Uh, and again, like I said, he's got very meek, submissive body language, despite all the things that happened, because by this point, um, Oscar has gone out to the park because he's just... He's drunk and he's he's been defied too much. Oh, and so yeah. He's going to demonstrate what... Yeah, he's going to show that he will do it. So he goes and drives off with uh, with Joel. And so she has to run to catch up with them. And that must have been a pretty decent distance. I couldn't have done that. Who knew that Anne Hathaway famed actress is also Anne Hathaway famed cross-country runner. Uh, so she gets there, and they have this really... When I was watching it, I was really uncomfortable watching this, because it's... And I checked out both of their heights. Anne Hathaway is 5 foot 8, and Oscar's actor is 6 feet. I really don't like seeing this guy towering over Anne Hathaway, because it's... We know who's going to win in this kind of in, in a physical altercation here, and you know, props to Anne's character for standing up to him. It's just really uncomfortable watching this you know, oh, clear yeah. physical abuse happen. He goads her to slap him, and of course, when her monster appears, you hear the cheering from people around again. Like they they hear it mm. from the homes, and when that happens, everyone goes ooh, and she just slaps him even harder as well and they're cheering it on and then the kid gloves come off and he strikes her and mm. throws her down now they, they start tussling a bit and he pushes her over um at this point chad finally chad joel um starts speaking again and tries asking them to stop but he's not like he's probably strong he's younger at least he's younger looking than oscar and he's probably stronger than him too he could probably step in there and stop it but he is so kind of browbeaten that he clearly just won't all he can do is bring himself all he can bring himself to do is, is just beg them to stop meekly and yeah at this point like all pretenses are off all the whole facade is gone and oscar flat out holds soul hostage oh this is actually my favorite scene in the entire film now of course oh where he does he his... delivers his ultimatum when he's thrown gloria to the ground and, okay, 
And then he just tells her that she will come in to work at the bar with him every day. And on the days when she doesn't show up, and then this this is a scene which, if you hadn't watched the film, like the rest of the film, and only started with this scene, there would be zero context. It would be the weirdest thing. But he stomps slowly around her in a children's playground while she looks on, curled up on the floor, in terror with dubbed-over sounds from Korea of the building smashing, of people screaming. And I think Hathaway did a perfect job at acting that, because she had such human emotion. She could... She looked terrified. She wasn't... She wasn't screaming pretty. No. Like, she was... She was ugly screaming, which is great. You know, Anne Hathaway acts really well in this movie. Both of those people knew exactly what was happening... And she grasped that this was dangerous. He was controlling her in the worst possible way. I, I, I completely agree. That is a great scene. I think it would be better maybe without the explosions and screams and crashes dubbed over. I think that made a little... I think it would have worked better if it was a lot more quiet and subdued because then you can kind of... It can dawn on you rather than having it shoved in your face. But it, it's not bad... With the dubbed audio track, and they they probably they probably felt the need to do that just so it didn't go over anyone's head, you know. Another great part of it is whenever Oscar has the upper hand and whenever he has um, her on the floor, no one's cheering or clapping. It's dead yes. silent. Like he is the bad guy. Man, I hate this character so much. What a what a what a horrible horrible person. Oh, yeah, they did a perfect job at his character. That mask of being just a nice small-town guy just peels off, and you see the manipulative demon. Yes. It's not one of those, oh, wow, surprise, I was a dick all along, like in... um... Uh, like like Frozen, like the villain in Frozen, like oh, you know, there's no oh, I'm I'm evil now, despite there being no you know hints at it beforehand. It's just a slow reveal of yeah. The, the more you get to know him from an outsider perspective, rather than being in, directly involved in the events, like yeah, you can see you can see how this guy's a bit of a, a bit of a creepy, possessive weirdo. And even after that, he just acts even more pitiful, intentionally doing that. So he sends mm. even more furniture and stuff to Gloria's place, yes. which Joel dutifully arranges well, around no, the house. Of course, he, he he doesn't go himself. He sends Joel to do it for him. Oh, shoot, actually, I think I've I've gotten some of the sequence wrong. The flashback was um, a little later on in the film, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, but after it was all the, to the conversation. Yeah, so, yeah, sorry about that. But, oh, yeah, I've gotten some parts Rex, of the film mixed up. Hand in your podcaster license. <laughs> it's, it's over, Rex. We're going to have to... They know we're hack frauds now. I watched the film this morning, and look, it all kind of merges together near the end, but it's still clear. Because when that... You don't understand. They expect <laughs> they expect journalistic integrity from podcasters. When that furniture's delivered, she immediately heads to his house, knocks on the door, oh, yeah. and, you know, you, you look around his house and you see it's a bit of a dump. He obviously doesn't have control of his life. It was mentioned earlier in the film that... Um, he almost got married and, got and it married. fell through. And then he got that scratched out picture. Like, the man is weird. Like, you don't... A normal person doesn't 
do that. Mm. A normal person puts it in a shoebox under their bed, and then when they get weepy drunk, they pull it out, look at the pictures, have a cry, and then go to sleep. That's what a normal, well-adjusted, mentally healthy person does with their life. Oh. A weirdo keeps it around and scratches the face out. Well, I've been burning bitch into the ex's lawn every other month. Oh, that's all part of the healing process. Too. Oh, you know, good. Okay, normal. okay. <laughs> don't forget to kill the dog as oh, well. Oh, yeah. Oh, every time. But yeah, um, he, at this point, he just apologizes, like profusely saying, he's so sorry. And at this point, you can tell that she smells the bull. Oh, yeah. Oh, she, you can tell she smells the bull as soon as she goes to him seeing the furniture, like she knows what he's doing. Mm. It, it, it's it's just great seeing that he she she's no longer under any illusions as to what he is now. Uh, there's also a bit in it where Oscar subtly checks to see if Anne Hathaway's character has any physical evidence of the assault. You know, he says, "Oh, you got any cuts and bruises and stuff like that." And sure, that could be someone feeling guilty about what they've done. But with everything, all the context, he's clearly seeing if she could show the police that as evidence. Yeah. And then he continues his control over his apology by saying, you know, can we just be friends again? My man, you have physically assaulted your friend, pushed another one away, and destroyed goodness knows how many people's lives. You don't get to set the terms of this. Now that's, you're, you're not, that's not your place in this apology. That is the wronged party's point. You know, that's their role in this. And being the sympathetic idiot that she is, Anne Hathaway lets him off because, you know, she has been an alcoholic. She is, you know, oh, seen yeah. a drink for a good while. So she lets him off because she's also messed up drunk. But we've never seen her do anything actively malicious up until that point. So there's no comparison to be made. She's just being way too nice at this point. After this point, we uh, dip back into Hallmark territory. Because uh, snooty big city boyfriend or ex-boyfriend comes into the picture. Whoa! It looks like Anne's been getting a bit too cosy with their small town childhood friend. What will she do? You know, I've never actually seen one of these Hallmark movies. I just see all the jokes about them. So, you know, that, that's where these references are coming from. If you can imagine what it's like, you know what the film already is. I feel like knowing the basic tropes of them has given me a pretty decent working knowledge of them already you know so um tim is now in the the equation and Anne hathaway goes to see him in his hotel room and he's all like i've got a i've already got an english accent i just have to work out how to properly imitate his thicker english accent you're right love I've, i had a business meeting in the area and i just thought i'd come down and see you it's just his english accent is so much more noticeable because he's surrounded by americans um, and so he, he immediately oh, starts acting yes. way, way worse than he does in the, in the beginning of yeah. like he is a real piece of work like from <clears throat> from this point onwards like I, at the beginning I was on board with him like yeah Anne Hathaway is a bit out of control here I also would probably dump her but then again she's also famed actress Anne Hathaway I probably would yeah, it's just she's the got fact a lot more money than I do even when she's made progress like okay she's gotten a job but it's at a bar so he automatically assumes that she does that so she can continue her negative habits even when he wants to see her again he's just assuming that she is still at rock bottom and so he can pick her up again like what is it up with uh, Gloria attracting toxic men oh 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, people just have a type sometimes. Oh, wait, no, actually, she didn't actively seek out Oscar. Yeah, no, you're right. She just has this kind of magnetism towards them, it seems. Except for Joel. Joel's fine. He's just... Yeah, poor Joel. Browbeat. He, he needs to regain his poor inner Joel. Chad. Pick yourself up the ground, King. You dropped your crown. Uh, the um, He offers to take her into, into, uh, into town for a, uh, for a job, for the shift she's working that day. And, of course, she's quite eager to get there on time because if she doesn't, then Pretty there's much. a uh, block in Seoul. And, yeah, and as soon as Tim enters the equation and um, Oscar clocks on to what's going on, he immediately gets defensive. And, like, his, his arms are crossed when we first see him because he, he his, um, his body language is all kind of, you know, this, this guy might throw a spanner in the works, so he's kind of already in that zone. And there's, there's another little bit where um, where Tim's all like, oh, we got all the cowboy bits in it. Well, that's a bit weird, isn't it? And then he, Oscar immediately ah. shifts the blame onto Anne. Even though it's a really innocuous bit, he can't tolerate any kind of criticism or mockery, no matter how light it is. It's always someone, oh, it's Anne's fault. She's the one who wanted it. And like whenever anyone's making a joke at his expense earlier on in the movie, um, he's immediately dour and down on the joke. He's just a horrible, fragile person to be around, and I hate him so much. Uh, and then we get to this really uncomfortable scene. Um, yeah, the, the bit with the firework. It was absolutely unnecessary, and I have no idea why that's his <laughs> way of flexing. Like, how the hell do you do that to scare off an ex-boyfriend <laughs> right. who wants to weed his way back into her heart, thus reducing your influence on her? What do you do? You trash your entire bar with a giant illegal Mexican firework. Your livelihood. Now, granted, there's probably no better way of doing that. It's just weird that he did it in the first place. I get the point of it. It's just a, it's just a weird thing. Like, the point is to demonstrate that he can do something so off the wall and so you know weird and irresponsible. And yet, his control over Anne is so absolute that she's going to stay with him. And throughout all this, we've got this poor, poor old man who just wants oh, his yeah. coffee. Joe just wanted his coffee. He never got it. You know, where's that plot thread? You know, where's that resolution, filmmakers? Come on. Whatever happened to Joe and his coffee? Hacks. I mean, we do see um, Tim kind of care. Tim clearly does have some care for. I'm trying to say it the way it feels in my head. Hang about. Um, he cares about her, but he's still this overbearing, up himself douchebag. And so he's like, "Oh, I'm going to the airport in the morning, love. If you if you want to come, then meet me there." I'm going to stop doing that horrible accent. Um. And then he leaves, so he clearly does care, but he, he doesn't care enough to like make her leave or call the police. At this point, Tim seems to be the lesser of two evils, and I'm, I'm glad he wasn't dragged into the whole monster side of things. Well, yeah, she doesn't... Yes, Tim played his role perfectly. Anything other than that would be too much. Tim is not the focus. Tim is, is, is window dressing here. He, he's not 
a main character. He is a prop for the yeah the plot to progress. After hearing the uh, the offer to go uh, with Tim back home to New York, um, Oscar just lets himself into the house and waits for her like a psychopath. Oh, it turns God. Out he's had a key yes. this entire time. That is terrifying. Like, Anne, Anne Hathaway's character realises that she now has no safe space from him. Like he, and he's just going to wait there all night. So ah, that yes, and that's where it cuts to, to the flashback. My apologies. Uh, a few of the scenes are very similar. Well, once you see one scene of Oscar being an abusive douchebag, it, you, they kind of just devolve from there. You can kind of put them in different orders. Build your own douchebag story. Does he start <laughs> by assaulting you? Or do you want him <laughs> to uh, threaten your ex? <laughs> or is it negging? You two can simulate your own toxic relationship. Yep, if you just subscribe to our new channel, Spandex Power Armor Pickup Artists. Oh, uh, we have... <laughs> oh, just, I'm just going to make another It's Always Sunny reference. We've got our own version of the Dennis system. <laughs> it's the Rex system. <laughs> oh no, please do not. I do not like the letter that system starts uh, with. It, it, it's easy. Oh no, mine would First start one, with a two-ranger. Ranger. in the middle of the night... Um, E, E, um, exacerbate mental issues as an excuse, and execute, ex plan. execute her dog if she disobeys. Huh. That's really dark, Rex. Yeah, it hasn't helped me pick up that many women. No. I think I'll go back to talking about Tokusatsu. I think I'm yeah, better at that pretty... than negging I think the, I think the ladies like that more. into sleep. <laughs> You're right, baby, you ever seen, uh... You ever seen Zubat? <laughs> hey, baby, you know oh, how mama, many times Godzilla back. suit actors drowned? <laughs> oh, mama, want to see uh, Winspector with me? Well, now you I see, can uh, Daft Punk's, Daft Punk's uh, the, the, the silver helmet was actually based on uh, on Space Sheriff Gavan. Well, actually, Power Rangers was inspired by Marvel's Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> He's just informing her wrongly. <laughs> <laughs> I almost want to do it now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. They're called Senshi, not Rangers. Oh, ooh, I hate you so much. You <laughs> bloody weeaboo. It's like that time I saw someone say um, Zelda no Densetsu. See, if The Legend of Zelda it's, were a series that were incredibly obscure, like it were only in Japan... So there wasn't a proper official name for the translation. Yeah, I know, but no, I know. <laughs> Was it so hard to say Legends of Zelda? Like the hell. All according to Keikaku. Bloody weeaboos. And this is coming from a person who runs a Tokusatsu podcast. So uh, with her, you know, rather unwanted home invasion. Um, and Hathaway finally kind of escapes, and you know she has this horrible like any any physical confrontation between these two is really uncomfortable, because in a straight fight we all know who would win. Oh, I think by it's... making it um, a male female conflict, it really does make it seem unbalanced. It's supposed to oh, make yeah. you feel uncomfortable. 
Like, oh, yeah. obviously, they can't do a kaiju fight scene because that would be just oh, yeah. a man beating the piss out of a woman in a public space. Um, so in the framing, or for the narrative purposes, there we go, uh, it's not bad that they've got this, but, man, it's just not fun to watch. Like, it, it's not fun to watch in a good way. You know, it shows that they're doing their their job properly in presenting us with this situation. Yeah, the fact that it makes me so uncomfortable shows that they've done a good job with it. Oh, yeah. They make you feel how Gloria's feeling. They they give you everything from her perspective. You learn as she learns. You have the same revelations as her. It, it's... I'm just... It's a good thing she had, you know, planks of wood and things like that to hit him with. Gotta say, though, that bit with the, uh, the pool is disgusting. Like, that's a stagnant pool. Oh, yeah, she <laughs> throws him into um, a stagnant pool in the backyard. After... Disgusting. It is the point where she gives him the full story about how much he hates himself. And no, then, that was in the bar. No, like, like oh, no said, that was this, in the bar. This... What does she say when she realizes about the tick again? I've got those two mixed up. Um, after the full flashback, what causes them to race to... Oh, she just leaves. Uh, she gets up to leave, is all. Like they... Oh, yes, yes. And so... Uh, by this point, she's kind of worked out, I guess, the best way of sorting this. Like she, um, once once she gets back to her house after escaping and giving him the slip, she realizes, like, there's a there's a bit where a map of the world kind of falls down to draw her attention to it, um, and she kind of puts two and two together that if she's small here but bigger there, then if she's small there. And she'll be big the other place. It's a bit of a logical step. Like a serious stretching of, okay, sod it. I guess that's how it works. So somehow she manages to scrounge up enough money to buy a plane ticket to South Korea. Now, okay, how long does it take to fly to Seoul? Oh, a long time probably. They're in, I don't even know what state they're in. Because the point of this is she's supposed to get there before he next, or at the time of him ransacking the place. Well, but during that period... Least... Like, she's got she's at still... least 12 hours. She's got to get to the um, airport as well. True. Well, it, it doesn't really matter. That's not the point. The, the in-universe justifications aren't the point. It's a character study, not a, yes. a realistic... Well, it's a realistic character study, but not... If we cared too much about how the world works in this, we'd stop watching as soon as we saw the lightning strike thing. Oh, yeah, true. I mean, we're not that kind of people who are like, what is this, some kind of magic xylophone? No. (laughs) We're not here for any hardcore scientific explanation for things. We're here for the narrative. And if a few things can be ignored um, for the sake of moving it along, that's fine. So once uh, once she gets to Korea, it's uh, eight. It's gone eight uh, over in America, and um, Oscar is about to start, you know, stomping around Seoul to, you know, punish her for not being there with him, uh, and she starts moving into the space where her monster is active, and so her monster appears in you know small town America, 
And yeah, there's this great bit where she picks him up and he's begging for his life. And then he oh, calls she yeets him. And, and in Korea, you can see that um, <laughs> his robot is doing the exact same action. So he is just up there in the air, arms together, just struggling. And I thought that I thought that the scenes leading up to that were douche. amazing. So in the part where she reveals that she's in Seoul, she's calling Tim, just letting him know that she's okay. Like, obviously, yeah. she doesn't hate him. Like, she still likes him, I guess, or mm. respects him. Yeah. Well, he's a bit overbearing, but he's not... He's not abusive, he's, he's not just a bit abusive. of a dick. He hasn't... He's not mm. held an entire she's city still, hostage. Yeah. She still respects him enough just to say, low. hey, it's okay, I'm somewhere else, but I'm fine. And I think that was just a nice touch to make it seem like Tim isn't a loose end. And the scene where yes. she approaches... Okay, so when the robot attacks first, he does a bit of the stomping. But then it's the fact that when she gets there at the right time, in the right place, uh, Oscar is physically knocked back by the stomping. And so you never see... Her monster appear in the US until it's up close. Otherwise, it's just played over her movements, her steps, walking toward this giant robot. And that scene gave me chills. Everyone else is running away. She is striding toward it, confident as anything. Yeah, because you've got small Anne, but she's all big and powerful at the same time. But then you've also got small, abusive Dick, who is... Yeah, also dangerous at the same time. You got that kind of dynamic, kind of dichotomy going on. Those sounded like buzzwords, but they are. It I, does I tease know us what they mean. with the possibility of a giant monster fight, but it actually is very down to earth because there is, yeah, hmm. that and Oscar well, is no big strong monster to crush. He is just small and weak. The power has hmm. always been with Gloria. She was able to outsmart him. And he was completely unprepared, and she just nipped him in the bud, because he was the problem. It was so cool, because she managed to mimic the movements perfectly, knew when to mime how to pick him up and grab him. She sort of opened her mouth to get to Raw, mm. and just like that, she just yeeted him. Just sort of Team, <laughs> team Rockets blasting off again kind of thing. <laughs> yeah it's it's a good movie it's it's a good old time i mean he's got some pl plenty of un uncomfortable bits but they're all to service uh, a greater narrative yeah they're they're all none of it is gratuitous it never feels exploitative or anything like that it's uh, you know exploring this character dynamic oh yeah I also love the really fact good. that she doesn't end the film as a now happy, empowered woman who's able to do anything. No, she's still... Yeah, she's distraught she as all hell. She just killed someone who was her friend. And, like, there is so much of this stuff to do. She still needs to pick up the pieces of her life. All she's done is stop yeah. something that she caused... Like, remove one problem. This, it's just such a good film. And during scenes where people are seeing um, <clears throat> the robot in the air, you see Joel in a bar watching it on TV, and he's smiling. He smiles yeah. the entire way. He doesn't look on in fear. 
Oh yeah, because he's he's, mm. he's clocked onto what's happened. Like Joel's a smart cookie; he knows what's going on. He seems relieved when the robot is thrown away. He knows that Oscar is probably dead, and you can tell that he's liberated. No, not Would really. You be sad about that. Though? Like he. This is not Joel's film, but he's there to be shown as a victim of Oscar. And yeah, it's just simple. Just him smiling at a bar and knowing that Gloria is doing well. Because even if there's not going to be a romantic relationship Mm. kind of thing, he knows that, yeah. And he knows that she's going to be doing better after this because he's feeling better because they are both victims of Oscar's wrath. I hope they all get to be friends again, you know, Garth, Joel, and Anna, just Anne Hathaway's character. I mean, I hope they, you know, all get back together when she moves back and, you know, they just are able to be friends without Oscar being an overbearing, horrible, yeah, nasty it, piece of work. It's a bit twee, but I would have wanted maybe an after credit scene where they're just at the bar or something and just hanging out and there's just some equilibrium. But no, it ends with like, oh yeah, is she hmm. going to... um? take a drink and then tell the story or is she going to try and avoid the booze? Well, hopefully, yeah, broadly speaking, she'll try and avoid the booze. She made a concerted effort yeah. to, to all entities. But it's, so. it's left nice and vague. Like, there's there's no equilibrium. Hmm. Like, there's no happy ending. Well, yeah, because her life's still, you know, not great. Better, now that Oscar's gone, but, you know... And the moral of the story is yeet all the toxic people in your life as far away as you can throw. Now, one thing I noticed uh, in this movie, I mean, we're uh, we're getting into kind of character and theme discussion here, is is that there are no good male role model characters. Oh, zero. The best we have is the best we have is Joel, but he's you know browbeat oh yeah this isn't a movie submissive. where a man sweeps gloria off her feet no she's having to deal with them i'm not even talking about that i just mean that there's no there's not even a normal you know apart from apart from coffee joe and that's <laughs> a good monster guy from early on those are the only two decent men we've seen and they've got like a handful of lines a handful of words of dialogue yeah, between them both yeah i think that know? adds to the organic nature of the character development, none of these people are incredible. Like, they're just all in towns that they grew up in. This is just the life that they have. And if we're talking Mm. about characters, I think it did a really good job at it, and I really want to talk about Anne Hathaway's glory, if that's okay. Yeah, she did an amazing job at portraying someone whose life was going down the toilet. Like, she had... When when she realized that she yeah. had fallen and that she was at rock bottom. Like, as soon as she got back from her hometown, she had to sleep in an empty house. She was just sleeping in an empty room. And even then, her attempts to improve herself, like, eventually she would, um... Ah, oh, was it? Even before cutting out the alcohol, she bought an inflatable mattress. Couldn't figure out how to inflate it, so she just wrapped herself up in it. Ah, uh, there's... There's just fun little organic bits that she's doing. Like, I've... I, don't get me wrong, I'm not a massive Anne Hathaway super fan or anything like that. I've seen movies that she's in, but this is the first role I've seen her in where I've thought, 
yeah, you know, I really like this role. This, this, she does a really good job in this role. You know, I saw her in Les Mis, and a lot of people praise her in Les Mis, but... Her character in this was guy. incredibly relatable. So it came like, bit... it wasn't fantastical. It was realistic. I know it's a weird thing to, to notice, but it's just... You don't see it in other movies. Like that, that bit where she starts sleeping on the air mattress, and then it deflates overnight, and she wakes up, and, you know, she's been laying on one side and her boob is sore because she's yeah. been laying on it all night and yeah she's clutching it because it hurts like that is a weird realistic thing to include like you wouldn't get included in other movies but it you know it's just it just shows how thoroughly Anne Hathaway is acting this character you know she doesn't just wake up and she's like oh oof ouch owie my back and then she's fine for the rest of the you know, she just walks it off. She, you know, she walks around clutching her chest because it hurts. Like, yeah, it's realistic. She's really good in this movie. It's those details that make it seem human. Like this, like yeah. you would, hang on. <clears throat> you would behave the exact same way if you woke up like that. You would be sore. And mm. like, she's incredibly oh, yeah. grateful when Oscar gives her a futon. And she lies on it, and oh, yeah. you know she's just really comfy. And then he's like, "Come on, time to get to work." I appreciate a fellow futon enthusiast. My last two beds have been futons. That doesn't make me sound like a well-adjusted human being at all, does it? Oh God. I mean, there's—I'm no, by no means an expert in acting. I do not know everything that goes into it, or the processes that people have to take to become good at it. So, all I can really say is yes. Anne Hathaway act good. Yeah, she does a perfect job at showing someone struggling with alcoholism. Like, there are even just scenes where when they go to the bar, she just keeps looking at the bottles. Like, the camera zooms in on them slowly. It's a bit like a... I don't know, I think if it were done in a more hyped-up way, it would be like a dolly zoom. But no, they're just there. <laughs> <laughs> like, dramatic. I don't think... <laughs> alcohol... <laughs> Uh, but no, it's just like she's aware that it's tempting her. It has a whole yeah, and so she's battling that monster through the film, and like alcohol's being used to control her with, uh, with Oscar just trying to get her drunk, and yeah, hmm. she just does it so well. Like she's someone who's trying now, actually trying for the first time in their life to get back on their feet because she's she was just broke and nowhere and. I think even if Oscar weren't blackmailing her and Tim wanted her to come back with him, she would probably still say no because she wants to improve. She she develops mm. in a way that, sure, her circumstances might not have significantly increased, but she knows how to better look after herself. Oh, yeah, this isn't a story about her fixing her entire life. It's her getting to the point where she can probably start working on fixing her life. It's yeah, like you can't solve your problems in the space of a movie's duration. Uh, with uh, we may as well lump Garth and Joel's characters' discussions oh, together because yes. they they occupy pretty similar positions. The only real difference is that Garth chats back uh, and is more outspoken, and Joel is a lot more submissive and meek. Uh, they they both yeah. exist there. Garth is there as the comical character. They're the one. He's the one who tells all the stories, the jokes, sort of gets carried away, but you can tell he's quirky, which yeah. sort of explains the uh, 
cocaine accusations. Whoa, oh, um, I'm so wacky. I do coke. <laughs> yeah. So he's there just to be like part of the circle of friends. And his relationship with Oscar isn't actually strained at all until he speaks out trying to help Gloria. Mm. Like, obviously, there's. They don't need to be flexed on as much. Like, Joel never really acts up. And Garth only just calls him out on his dickery once. Yeah. I mean, Garth is the one holding the... He is the one holding the phone, isn't he? When um, Oscar's taunting soul. Yes. When, um, yeah, when Gloria's with Joel. Yeah, he only really stands up um, with the the cocaine bit. But the fact that he does it all, you know... Is is notable? Like even Joel doesn't. I feel really bad for Joel. He just seems like a really sweet guy. Like even when he tries to kiss um, Gloria at the beginning, like that's not treated as him being forceful or anything like that. He just thought that it was the mm. it was the expected thing in that situation. And then Oscar gets right on his case about it. Mm. Poor Joel. Yeah, these characters are so well made. Like they're not perfect, but they're flawed. Oh yeah. And I just, I want them to have something happy going on. Except Oscar. I, except, well, yeah, screw Oscar. Yeah. Eat him into the sun. <laughs> well, they, they both um, showcase Oscar's effects on people rather well. You know, from another point of view, aside from Gloria. And speaking of Oscar, I mean, I, I've gushed previously in the episode about how much I love his characterization. Because he's just so thoroughly nasty and unlikable by the end of it. And it's so organically done, it's so realistically done that I I hate him. I feel like if I were to see Jason Sudeikis in real life, I would want to punch him because of this role. Like He's just a... He, he plays it so well. Oh yeah. All the bigger names in this don't phone it in. There's nothing half-assed about it. You can tell that this is something they enjoy. Oh, yeah, because they could probably get more high-profile work oh, if they yeah. wanted to. So they're probably just in this for... I get the they feeling really that the without Hathaway attached to it, this thing probably wouldn't have broken a couple of million in box office. Yeah. I don't think it would have been made. It's just... It's too fragile a concept to just throw at someone. It's mm. it's too weird a concept. Like we we know that American audiences aren't that great with monster movies. You know, it took Guillermo del Toro to make Pacific Rim and that barely did well. China rescued that one in terms oh, of yeah. um, profits. Um the Monsterverse is profitable but it's not a, a smash hit or anything like that. So you need a big name like Anne Hathaway to sell this to investors to get them to pony it. Oh yeah, even then, this was for a monster film. This was done on a shoestring budget because they didn't mocap the animations. Oh, yeah. What they did was they had they just basically uh, modeled it from Hathaway's actions, and then just made it onto that. Um, the monster yeah, designs weren't based on anything from the creator because he believed he didn't have the right um, creative talent, so he had the people making the CG models do it. 
It was interestingly made. I mean, they covered the budgetary limitations very well, so most of the things showing the monsters interacting is always from a phone in tiny, um, just little clips of it. Like, that's... yeah. This movie treats the monsters like Godzilla 2014 does, but it works here because the focus isn't the monsters. It doesn't work in Godzilla 2014 because Godzilla should be the focus in his own movie. Yeah. Like, it, it handles monsters better than Godzilla 2014. Sorry, I'd love to Garth. see something continued from Colossal. It was just that engaging. I mean, obviously, if there were anything sequel-related, it would have to be a completely different character who'd be like, oh, look, someone else gets struck by lightning. But I really wanted to follow the stories of these characters, even if there's no kaiju stuff in it. I just want to see how Gloria copes with alcoholism and gets better in her life. I would now watch that. I would watch that as like a drama thing, then I would watch it as a rom-com. Like, this is a primer for something. Now I'm ready for the Hallmark <laughs> film with Anne Hathaway and, and small town Chad. Like, sure, now she can either go to the big city with Tim, or she can stay with Joel and his uh, scented candle-making business. They've got you. <laughs> this is all a plot. The, the, the production companies behind this were a front for big hallmark. This is secretly to get suckers like us interested in their weird love triangle <laughs> rom-com cheap movies. We've been had. We've been suckered. We've been bamboozled. I just really and hugged, enjoyed wait. the human drama in this. The monsters were only just a background prop, and it it was fine. I was okay with it because yeah, sure, I liked seeing some more monster stuff, but. The characters were just that engaging. Well, they're there to the point. It was nice. It didn't romanticize anything about small-town America. It's just like, yeah, welcome to rock bottom. We're going to get a lot of hate from the Midwest about this. I've, I've got to say, I don't think that this movie... Hang on, what's the best way of approaching this one? I don't think we're the um, target demographic for this movie. I think it's uh, for... I think this is definitely one of those movies that are more aimed towards women than not, but it's done Ooh, in a way that's not pandering that is curious. at all. Like the How do we know what the themes of this demographic film... was? Like, I can see that, but... Hmm. Well, well it, the thing is that this wasn't marketed exploitatively. This wasn't like the um, Ghostbusters remake where there's, oh, this is a an all-female-led hmm. film. This, this is a feminist movie, and if you don't watch it, you're a sexist. The most that movie had to do with feminism or female empowerment was a queef joke at the beginning. This one, on the other hand, deals with issues of uh, male on female uh, abuse and manipulation um, and kind of becoming your own woman and taking control of your life after relying too much on a... Okay, I can see that as being the selling point, but... I wonder if they did sit down from a marketing standpoint, though, and it? just see, okay, who is this geared toward? Is it toward giant monster film fans, or trying to be a bit more mainstream, or is it going to be, do you want it to be like a chick flick? But the problem is it's it's, it's gritty. It's gritty without oh, having the, the horrible grey filter over everything. Yeah, maybe, the, maybe the issue is that they just didn't market it particularly well, if you see what I mean. They didn't target it yeah. so specifically. I watched this because I love giant monsters. And obviously a bunch of other people would have watched it because, hey, you don't get too many you know, mainstream giant monster movies, let's watch it. I don't think too many um, uh, women interested in watching films that... Oh, 
I'm getting into dicey territory here. A fat man on the internet with a beard is going to hang on. Talk I'll get your fedora. Women want, um, <laughs> milady. Uh, okay, let me try and. Uh... Let's just generalize here. Let's say we've got an adult female demographic. What are their interests? What do they like? Uh, come on to this film. Alcohol and Anne Hathaway and <laughs> and the big city. Well, the genre is sort of specified as a black comedy. <laughs> So they're not sort of selling it as something dead serious. But it's 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 not a comedy though. None of this is funny. It's black, yeah. I suppose they have to mar- <clears throat> sorry, give me a sec. I suppose they have to market it as some kind of genre besides monster because hey, monster movies don't tend to do that well historically. Like I said, I I don't I don't believe uh, as to be the main demographic for this. Uh, it's it's interesting because I, I mean, sure I'm a guy, but I think this is a really good film for you know themes that deal with women's issues. But it's weird because none of the writers, the director, and okay. none of the producers were women. Hmm, let's be cerebral here. So in terms of. What sort of people would you recommend this film to? So it's people who are here like, hey, maybe you should watch this Kamen Rider movie. They're just like, dude, what the hell? So here's something that's a lot more accessible. It's Western. It stars, you know, prominent actress Anne Hathaway. Who would you recommend this to? Like, I recommended I recommended this to my mother. I was like, hey, mom, you should check this out. I told her the premise and she's like, oh, that's a bit weird. But I just said, it, it makes sense because... Yeah, it is hard to sell. It's hard like, to sell. I think it's hard to sell I could get my girlfriend into this. It's it's down to earth enough. It's not like zany sci-fi shenanigans. It's human drama done well with the monsters in the backdrop. Like you can get your average I could... Joe to watch this, but you can't get them to. Yeah, you won't get him as damn yeah, coffee. You're just going to set off though. a big old firework. Ugh. Worst bar ever. Poor Joe. <laughs> Poor Cosmo yeah, Joe. It, it is a decent film. Of course, it's not perfect. But, yeah. But of I am no, no surprised by the quality of the character development in something like this. And the quality of the acting. It's one of those movies that set out to achieve something and achieved it without flaw, I guess. Fl- without flaw is kind of a, a big way of saying it. It didn't stumble, is what I'm saying. It executed it well. Yeah. There's no part of the movie where I thought, mm, this isn't working for me. It's paced well. It's acted well. It's written well. Everyone's consistent. It's got an, it's, it's just a solid, decent, all-around film that makes a point, makes it well, doesn't overstay its welcome. Yeah, it makes me want more of it, but obviously this can't be done. It's a story that's told, it's all wrapped up, and... Yeah. Yeah. The most you could do is like an anthology series of films where they're all in the same kind of vein as each other. Oh, like the, the Cloverfield characters. ones. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> and we'll get... I have... Okay, our next episode is on Cloverfield and I have a huge issue with the Cloverfield movie series. I will get into that next episode. I'll get into that. But yeah, no. Colossal's good. Colossal Go good. watch it if you haven't already. Yes, Colossal good. It gets five... Colossals out of a colossal from me. Ten out of ten. I would gladly get drunk with Gloria. Well, that's not good, though. I mean, she's a recovering alcoholic. You shouldn't enable her like this. I know, but every now and then someone gets a visit from the relapse fairy, and I just want to be there, you know, chill out, have a few beers, and 
not manipulate her as part of a toxic relationship. You just want to spend time with famed actress Anne Hathaway, don't you, you mooch? Don't you? Yes, she's got loads of money. I ain't saying Rangers are gold, Digger, but see... You can't say that. See... You, you can't say the gamer word. <laughs> see, see, if I want to hang out with celebrity for the money, I'd... I'd yeah, I'd maybe Hugh Jackman. I'd be George one of Lucas. his sycophants. Hey! George Lucas. <laughs> yeah, I know George Lucas. George Lucas has a load of money, and he's a fat How, how would he's... you get his money? I'd make him fall in love with me. You'd make him fall in love with you? Yes. He's, he's, a, he's a fat old man. He doesn't have that many years left in him. It wouldn't be for that long. I could do it. You just got to put on the Jar Jar mask. Well, after all, he is the key to all of this. I, I may have gone too far in a few places. When did the... when? Hang on. How did our, our conversation of extolling the virtues of Colossal get to seducing George Lucas? I just really wanted to make those references. I love those quotes from that behind-the-scenes featurette. It's like poetry. It rhymes. <laughs> Every sentence, it, it sort of rhymes. Ooh, I think there's a video <laughs> on the internet where you can actually see George Lucas just walking yes. in the background of some documentary that's quite boring about some industry. And the cameraman actually notices him bit. and just, yeah. just <laughs> It's like him going into a building, like a hotel or something. Oh, George. I hope, I hope he got credited on IMDb. Of a man. We should do an episode on the uh, the Star Wars prequels. Oh, I would love those. Sick. Frankly, I think we should have um, quite a few on some of the other stuff. I've been watching the Clone Wars series. I'm about midway through season four. That is amazing. I was apprehensive at first. The art style didn't really have me interested when it first came out. But watching it as an adult, I'm like, yeah. This is a, a series with a plot that's pretty good, even if it's accessible for kids. It's mature. You see people dying. Like, what? You always take so long to watch things I recommend to you. I've got a backlog, baby. Yeah, but I'm your, I'm your, I'm your friend. I'm your mate. I'm your, your chum. I should take precedence. Yes, but unfortunately, life gets in the way. Life and a compulsion to watch the same six seasons of The Simpsons end on end. Oh no, not the last six. Rex, I'm sorry that this obsession with Lisa Goes Gaga is just too much. <laughs> I still need to watch that episode. I, I still need no, to see don't. how crappy it is. No, you don't. Did Anne Hathaway ever get a cameo in The Simpsons? I don't know. Probably. Everyone's had a cameo in The Simpsons at least once. I think I was in an episode a while ago. <laughs> they just came up to you <laughs> and with a mic and just said, just, just say something. Boom. Credit. Yeah, there's one thing you take away from this episode. It's that you should watch Colossal and that George Lucas went too far in a few places. Namely, those places being allowing me into his life and falling in love with me and bequeathing me all his worldly goods. Well, it's a shame it's too late. Disney owns Star Wars now. Shame. Yeah, Mandalorian was pretty good. 